You got to set up environments. You got to set up infrastructure. Now you need to set up connectivity to all the different systems that you want to be able to pull data out of and run a workflow full of. You got to make sure it's scalable, if it's performing well. I didn't say anything here about solving a business problem yet. Welcome to the first in six minisodes that investigate the myths of using low code. We're going to be myth-busting popular misconceptions surrounding low-code with host Michael Bolin. Introduce yourself, Michael. Sure. I'm a solutions marketing coordinator for Siemens Digital Industry Software, focusing on cloud solutions such as low-code development and the Internet of Things. And he's joined by me, the low-code curious Ginny Sarasvati. Michael, so why are we here? Is that an existential question or... (laughs) You tell me. Okay, I guess I'll start with the motivation behind doing these podcasts. As you might imagine, being in a marketing department, we field a ton of questions from potential customers who are curious about our solutions, but might be unsure if it will work for their specific need. So you mentioned low code, you mentioned Mendix. What's the connection there? Now, Mendix is based on visual model-driven software development. That's the low code bit. We do that for a bunch of different industries manufacturing, finance, insurance, public sector, retail, you name it. Wow, that sounds like a lot. Right, and that's what leads to some of these roadblocks. How can you be all things to all people? Exactly, and that's the general idea behind each of these six episodes. We're going to be taking six myths about low code. That's things people have heard or believed to be true, and then we'll bust the heck out of them. Ooh, I'm excited. Now, it's not easy to talk about problems in theory, so we're going to embed each one of these myths inside a fictional scenario. And we're starting with Nuria. Hi, I'm Nuria, VP of IT at Candy Cane and Snowballs. Hold up, Candy? I knew there was a reason to be so excited about these. Right, and they manufacture the machines for making confectionery. Specifically, we build vertical batch rollers. They are our most popular product. They are also our operational focus. The problem is that a new company has opened up just around the block from us, and we need to find a way to get a lot more competitive. It's like Willy Wonka and Slugworth duking it out for sweetie supremacy. Roll Doll was surprisingly dark, wasn't he? Thankfully, Nuria's company is not quite on that scale. Oh, so no chocolate waterfalls then? Our CEO's idea to stay competitive is to transform our digital agenda. And he asked me to take the lead. First question, why might that be a way to stay competitive? The machines are monitored with digital technology, so they could potentially increase the efficiency of those vertical batch rollers by making improvements to that technology. And those improved insights could then lead to better margins on the machine itself. Gotcha. And so Nuria's CEO asked her to take a look into Mendex. I know that our CEO likes the idea of apps. And honestly, Mendex has been floated around as a possibility for a while. But here's my problem, and I'm going to whisper it. I don't think low-code is really suited to bigger industrial environments like ours. And that's speaking as the VP of IT. All right, Michael, what does she mean by bigger environments per se? I'm willing to bet that Candy Cane and Snowball's current systems and legacy assets are probably sprawled across lots of departments. Each of these departments represents a core component that's critical to operations across the business. 
and I'm thinking there are several silos of devices, systems, processes. Typically, people with this kind of structure worry that they're not going to be able to implement it, and it's understandable. Our current enterprise system is, let's say, complex. So even if we could implement something like Mendix, we might get an interruption in operations. I don't know for how long that might be, and I need to weigh those risks against the benefits of using local. With respect, our CEO doesn't know all the inner workings of the department. It's not quite as simple as he makes out. Hmm, those seem to be reasonable concerns. Yeah, I hear this a lot, but the reality is, is that the state of technology is moving faster than most organizations can keep up with. This is Isaac Sakalik, founder and president of Star CIO company that helps SMBs and enterprises compete with data and technology, develop transformational centers of excellence, and execute smarter, faster, safer, and more innovative transformation programs. I talked to him a bit earlier to help us solve Nuria's problem. He was sympathetic. You think about all the things you have to do when you build applications out before you start getting to the end goals. And you got to set up environments, you got to set up infrastructure. Now you need to set up connectivity to all the different systems that you want to be able to pull data out of and run a workflow full of. You got to make sure it's scalable. If it's performing well, you got to deal with the authentication and keys into these different systems. I didn't say anything here about solving a business problem yet. I just said everything that sets up the environment so that you can start working on the business cases and the experiences and the workflows. Sounds involved. Right, and it is. First, Isaac broke down Nuria's problem into its components. I hear operational efficiency, I hear speed, supportability, I hear a little bit of user experience built into that. Those are some of the things that I think about when I start looking at platforms and how to solve for them. I also see some barriers here being expressed. Integration with legacy assets really being one of the chief concerns. The reality is every time we do an implementation in technology, there are risks associated with it. So I highly recommend doing POCs. That's proof of concepts. Guess I should have gone to business school, huh? Testing the areas of technology that represent risks or unknowns. This would be Nuria of Candy Cane and Snowball's first step to actually test the potential risks surrounding integration and implementation that come with new enterprise systems. But how do you get companies out of that static place? Like, how do you move them from the this is where we've always been point to the this is how we can improve and grow? I asked Isaac that too. A lot of places tend to go with what they know. You have certain technologies and skills in place. That represents the known path and quote unquote, the low risk path. Isaac isn't suggesting that people jump straight in. New technologies always require a bit of study time. You know, a search, a review, I mentioned POCs, training people. Does it have easy to use tools so that your teams that have been using other development tools, can they naturally learn how to use these tools? One of the key aspects of looking at low-code platforms is really understanding the productivity factors, right? Understanding, does it really help accelerate getting past the infrastructures and integrations? So a part of the process is reviewing and retraining. It's unavoidable, but low-code also solves the problem of hiring and retaining in-demand developers. 
We have struggle with keeping up with talent and being able to hire and retain talent. We also struggle with continuity, right? Being able to build something today with a few developers and have a new team a couple years down the road being able to support it. Hmm. That's an important point, isn't it? That with the rate of technology speed rocketing as it is, you need the security of a platform that can keep you connected to developments. And keep you moving forward. And it's even more than that. Low-code helps you out with the back-end stuff, meaning more people with other skill sets so that team members who might not be developers can contribute without neglecting their core OT responsibilities. A lot of what you see in low-code platforms are these visual paradigms. I'm not looking at hundreds or thousands of lines of code that may not be documented. I'm looking at visual tools that are just much easier to document, to share with other developers, and for them to continue support on it. Isaac and I concluded our conversation by returning to the first issue, identifying the business need, and really helping Nuria pin that down. Start with the business requirements first. One of the main reasons we end up with so much technical debt in our organization, the things that really lock us in, is that we over-engineer our requirements. And when we over-engineer our requirements, it leads us down a path where we have to go into custom software development. Something like the chocolate waterfall is great, but the electric chocolate water fountain in the chocolate lake at the foot of the chocolate waterfall is overkill? (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of chocolate, but exactly. Isaac gave Nuria a bit of a reality check. I need the screen to look exactly like this. I need the workflow to handle hundreds of different exceptions to a process. It creates a longer development process. It creates more code. The key for Isaac is that low-code streamlines any unnecessary code and consolidates applications across departments, which avoids that chocolate water fountain problem you pointed out. Let's start with the most essential requirements. Let's think like agile and startups and really build up the capability based on what's most essential. And that's where really low-code allows us to accelerate really handling a lot of the things that we used to have to do in code. So we end up with a much thinner layer of proprietary capability, proprietary code, proprietary expression on top of what that provider is giving us. And if I have simplified requirements on top of it, it just means that my ability to enhance it over time, change it over time, even sunset an application in two to three years when it makes sense to rebuild it as something else, those will become a lot easier when I have a shorter, smaller asset to work with. And Isaac helps clients with precisely these problems. I work with the business leaders on expressing that vision, right? Who are the customers? What is the value prop? What technology or process are you replacing or enhancing? We go through that discussion. We go through a strategic discussion around why is it important to the business? What KPIs are we influencing? Who's going to be involved and what are their roles involved in this program? Those are all things that set up why we're doing this, who we're doing this for, how are we measuring success? I haven't gotten into anything about the implementation. I'm leaving that up to work with my engineers and saying, look, this is the business case of what we're trying to solve for. Here's what we know today. It's a vision. It's a vision. Wow. It's the simplicity that makes it such a low-key powerhouse. (laughs) Low-key, low-code. How are you feeling, Michael? First myth busted, huh? Oh, absolutely. And to add weight to Isaac's comments, at Mendex, we surveyed some of our Mendex customers. 
they reported that most of the applications they built with low code were either enterprise-wide or scaled for multiple departments. And platform adoption tends to span the entire enterprise. It all depends on the low code platform you choose. Speak to Siemens about what you need and we'll help problem solve for you with low code. Thanks, Michael. This first episode was a blast. Now, Nuri is happy. I see she's got party bags of chocolate bars with our names written all over them. Do you want to join? I can't think of any better way to end the day. (laughs) Well, we'll see you next time for episode two, where we'll be busting the next myth, which is all about flexibility. I guess I better go stretch, Mike. From candy bars to flexibility, that's a tough bridge, Michael. (laughs) We'll make it. And if you want to learn more about low code or start building on Mendex, visit Mendex.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. 